The Colorado Rockies were home to our favorite foursome of DC Comics, the Challengers of the Unknown. As we were dropped off by their honorary member June, we met with the Professor and Red in the hangar as they were prepping the jet for a new mission. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. So we do about two years today. It's a lot of comics. It's it, it really isn't a lot of comics because it's you know six issues a year, so it's only really about 11 or 12 issues. Um, but it feels heavy. These were not light reading. Yeah. They were... They were dense in a way that you dislike cake to be, <laughs> it, you know, and not yeah. like in a richness sense or like, oh, this is such a like a heavy cake. It's like this feet like if you had picked up a piece of cake and it felt weighty in this manner, you'd be like, that can't be right. It, hmm, it's like pound love- cake, but like you expect pound cake to feel heavy. But like if you picked up a piece of chocolate cake and it was like that heavy, you'd be like, mm, that can't. No, this is there's something wrong. So what you're saying is it's stealth fruitcake. Yes, stealth fruitcake or the seven layer ca- the seven layer cake from Claim Jumper. Haven't had it. Oh my god. Okay, so <laughs> I recently discovered that this might have this might be a Southern California thing or just a, a non NorCal thing because I mentioned Claim Jumper once when I was up in NorCal working at Telltale and no one knew what the fuck I was talking about and I was like, holy shit! Of all the restaurant chains. To not go up north and south or east and west, Claim Jumper is not the one I would have picked. And have you ever been to a Claim Jumper? No. Like, I'm not okay. even sure they made it as far south as San Diego. Oh, my God. That is insane. Okay, so Claim, Claim Jumper, Jumper is... You ever you ever been to Buca de Beppo? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Buca de Beppo is Italian Claim Jumper. Gotcha. Okay. It is incredibly heavy very caloric super hearty american food heavy heavy barbecue it's like western cowboy food if if that is a genre of cuisine and they have a dessert there that is a seven layer chocolate cake that if you're an adult human with normal sensibilities you get for the table (laughs) You know, it's like if there's four of you and you're like, let's get let's get a slice of the chocolate cake. And one of your friends is like a slice for all four of us. And you're like, shut up, Gary. Trust us. You don't know what you're talking about. And then this monstrosity, this leviathan of dessert appears on your table. And I'm not fucking around, folks. It is the size of like a normal like it's the shape of a pie slice, but it's seven layers of chocolate cake frosting chocolate cake frosting Ooh. chocolate cake it's yeah no you're looking wow. at it now with right the nuts on it yeah it's Ooh. it is a, you could kill a man with it <laughs> and probably get away seven. with murder yeah you could get away with murder because you'd eat the the murder weapon um it is it is way too much food for a single human being and it's more food than is necessary for four people you would need that's a that's a endeavor um the challengers of the unknown issues that we've been reading felt like seven layer claim jumper chocolate cake it was just like this is too much i don't know why this is too much i can't tell 
what the problem is here, but reading this is putting me to sleep. There is one issue that I care about, and we're going to get to it, and I'm excited for it, because it actually fleshes the challengers out for once, which we've never gotten, and it actually kind of changes their dynamic a little bit past that issue. I but, think I know the one you're referring to. Yeah. But every other issue is stock standard adventure fare. And I'm going to kind of talk about that at the end as well, as far as summary goes and direction creatively of these characters. Uh, Joanne, I apologize. I'm going to try and keep this under. It is a lot. So we're, we're covering Challengers of the Unknown, number 24 to 35. It's a lot of comic. You know, I mean, we're, we don't mess around here on the DC Detectives podcast. We just talk about Claim Jumper for too long. Um <laughs> But, you know, American restaurant chains aside, uh, we're going to look at Challenges of the Unknown, number 24, February, March, 1962. Because remember, we're doing two years because we can't math um, appropriately when we do Justice League. So, number 24, uh, the Challengers track down a guy hiding amongst an indigenous population and they just arrest him because I guess they're also deputized. It's not clear. we're going to talk about this at the end. Multi-Man is in the second story in these in this issue. Uh, he's back. Uh, he broke out of jail. He's also figured out a way how to change again. Because remember last time we had Multi-Man, he was stuck in the big brain form. And he was dangerous because he was super smart. Now he's figured out a, a way to change at will instead of having to die and change into a new form. And, of course, he is defeated by the Challengers. But this time he gets amnesia at the end of it. So he doesn't know who he is. And for now, we're safe from Multi-Man. Uh, heads up, all of these stories, save for a couple, are two-story issues. One 24-page issue with two stories inside of them. Uh, Challengers number 25, 1962, May. Um, a pharaoh is awakened in his tomb as a couple of crooks try to steal some invulnerability or invincibility or immortality formula. It's not important. The challenger sent him back to his tomb by giving him a locket that was, you know, pilfered at some point. That is his locket with a picture of him and his beloved in it. And he goes back, uh, all nice as you please. Cause he just wanted his, his special ladies locket. The second story is an alien attacks earth with a robot that runs off of chlorine and uh, Cosmo helps and save the day. Remember Cosmo, the weird sort of polka dot space kangaroo that the challengers have? Um, he's back. It's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I've written him yeah. down as being basically Quisp. Yeah, he's Quisp without overtaking the story. Uh, challengers number 26, November 1962. Uh, professor looks like. Uh, the professor is a drop dead ringer for this Hyborian age king that somehow exists still on Earth during the 1960s. And they have the professor take his place so that these assassins who are trying to usurp the king attack the professor and they can hunt down the assassins later. Um, just as a recap, the challenges of the, of the unknown are Ace, the pilot, Professor Haley, who is a Swiss Army scientist and expert skin diver, so underwater aquatic expert. Um, Rocky, who is an all-around just tough guy fighting champ, and Red, who is a mountain climber daring do sort of an individual who also apparently is tech-savvy, question mark? And the honorary challenger is June, 
who is always with them. June is just a, a socialite woman who happens to be good in a pinch when they need her for certain things, but June doesn't get a lot of screen time in these issues, nor does she get a lot of lines, and that's kind of bothering me. Yeah. It may help you to uh, keep track of the characters if you remember that these are the proto-Fantastic Four. Uh, yeah, take out, now take out where, mm-hmm. yeah, Ace, and you've got the Fantastic Four. Um, second story in Challengers number 26 uh, an alien posing as a magician unleashes some monsters to take over the world. Uh, he stopped. Just look at how not taken over the world is. Um, Challengers number 27, September 1962. Bad guys team up with a criminal alien. Ooh, twist. Uh, and the Challengers have to beat them and their space at experimental weapons. Uh, second story in number 27. Bad guy in a volcano unleashes lava monster men. And again, I'm blowing through these because they're just, while they sound exciting, they don't read as exciting. And I'm saving you the trouble and I'm making these as exciting as possible and as humorous as possible. Challengers number 28, November 1962. A giant robot made by a supercomputer microwave machine. Basically, it just looks like a giant microwave that poops out smaller robots. Kind of like Master Mold from X-Men, if you get that explained. I was going to go with Easy Bake Oven. Yeah, it does look like a giant Easy Bake Oven that robots come out of, you're right. Um, A supercomputer microwave makes a robot that gets struck by lightning and then turns evil, and the challengers have to get another robot made to destroy it. Um, The second story on number 28, the challengers in June go back in time to ancient Egypt, and June is mistaken for a princess, and the challengers have to save her. Challengers number 29, December 1962, January 1963. Happy New Year. Uh, the Challengers have to repair doomsday prevention devices that they were initially tricked into destroying by some aliens. Um, and then they have to repair them to stop the aliens from invading Earth. And the second story is the Challengers broker peace between fish and rock people. Uh, the Challengers are essentially separated while on an assignment and two Challengers meet some fish people who say that the rock people are attacking them. And the other two challengers meet the rock people who say that the fish people are attacking them. And the challengers end up brokering peace between the two civilizations. That is the briefest summary of that story you're going to get. And boy, howdy, did they take a long walk to get to that pier. Um, Challengers number 30, February, March, 1963. Multiman's back. Uh, He's got amnesia, like I said, in one of the previous issues that we just covered. Um, But with his amnesia, he begins to help the challengers and be a hero and that's all great and stuff until he finally remembers who he is and tries to kill them while they're on assignment and they have to arrest him again or actually no he gets away this time he disappears because he was out on assignment with them and he's like uh psych i'm bad and then bails the second story in number 30 june's friend this is a fun name to say everyone uh, if you're playing along at home i'd like to see you try and spell it f gaylord clayburn the third um is june's friend and he is interested in joining the challengers being the fifth challenger even though i technically consider june to be the fifth challenger we're not going to talk about that because sexism um he decides he wants to be a part of the challengers and they're kind of like not sure about him but after a series of incidents of daring do where he helps the challengers out of jams um they're like wow you'd actually be a really perfect challenger and he's like fuck this this is scary as shit i don't have time or the inclination to deal with this Peace out, guys, later. So this this whole roundabout tryout issue for nothing, which is kind of a pain in the ass. I would have actually really liked to see Clayburn join the Challengers because it would have just kind of freshened things up. But no. 
Challengers number 31, May 1963. A man tries to trick the Challengers into doing favors by saying he was the one that saved them from the plane crash that initially turned them into the Challengers of the Unknown. Uh, Challengers of the Unknown. Now, this is the issue that I'm actually kind of excited about, so we're going to spend a little time on this one. Um, so if you remember back in the initial story of the Challengers of the Unknown, Ace, Rocky, Red, and the Professor did not know each other. They were on a plane flight going to a television show called Heroes, where they were all to appear as guest stars. On their way there, the plane crashes. The four of them walk out with nary a scratch, but all their watches are stopped at the exact time that they crashed. Now, they claim that this means that they are now men living on borrowed time, and this spurs them into becoming the challenges of the unknown to do daring things that other men would not do because they're worried about their lives and the time that they still have left on this earth, while the challengers think they should be dead, so they might as well do things that could potentially kill them. This entire theme has been non-existent for the last couple of episodes of Challenges of the Unknown that we have had with the issues contained with them, and we have noted that in each episode. This is the first time we're really kind of getting to see that again. Now, this guy claims that he was the one that rescued them from the wreckage by putting the fires out. And we get some flashbacks to see just what Rocky, the Professor, Red, and Ace were doing and had done to get put on this show. Which gives us a little characterization about them, which was sorely needed. Um, Ace is an out-of-work pilot who has been helping folks by transporting things back and forth and he acts and he saves some miners from having some you know tampered with explosives that they were going to use to detonate some stuff and uses his superior piloting skills to save them and also open up a pass with the dynamite that was in the cargo of his plane uh red is just kind of a helpful adventuring type who stops a bad guy from using a radio tower to like usurp a country <laughs> which is like kind of random but also like the most intense one of these because he prevents a political coup <laughs> um the professor is a kind of sort of bored socialite intelligentsia fellow who runs across one of his heroes who kind of gives him a stern talking to and the professor helps him try and resurrect the statue and in the meantime the guy that he looks up to almost dies uh from oxygen deprivation and the professor's like wow like that's a real hero and i'm just being an asshole now, Rocky's my favorite here, and dear mm. listener, I'll tell you why. And I think you can guess, if you haven't, uh, it's because Rocky's a professional wrestler. <laughs> and it's hilarious, because I couldn't, throughout the, the whole sequence of watching Rocky talk about how he's only interested in the money that he can get out of fame and the, the winnings he can earn, I was like, now, I know wrestling was a thing back in the 60s and 70s, was this wrestling, which is kind of sort of real, um, where the com the competition is kind of a real sort of a situation contest of strength, and the men are actually doing like Olympic style wrestling in a ring, or is this wrestling, as we know it today in the professional wrestling circuit? So just the idea that Rocky knows what kayfabe is, and potentially was like you know doing a bit and what his gimmick might be is just that he's a big strong guy is also funny because there have been a number of guys named rocky in professional wrestling one of which you all know Dwayne the rock johnson his initial walkout name was rocky i didn't know that and so it's just there's a whole lot of fun stuff there for those of you who are wrestling fans and it's like it's it's got to be a page and a half of him wrestling beating this guy 
who is on the take and um rocky beats him and then they also arrest the guys who were there betting on the the guy who was part of the mob and i'm like that would have been a great wwe all elite sort of story <laughs> i would watch that but uh it's alas got no. the twists and turns because he gets like bl- he gets blinded he gets by, blinded he get, yeah. they slip him something in his drink yeah it's like it's and i mean and he he's got a manager and guy, everything so he knows where to attack it's like yeah that is straight up a very standard like face win kind of structure oh hell yeah man he even wins off a spear yeah yeah he straight up spears that. the guy uh good times anyway that's it guys that's he didn't our even quota have for to wrestling howl con. or uh stomp his feet a couple yeah. times first or do whatever the whatever goldberg does mm. uh just mm. look like everybody's dad um <laughs> anyway the whole story is kind of to show like that these guys wouldn't you know wouldn't have had their change of heart had this guy not rescued them um what really is going on is this guy is pretending to have helped them in the plane crash so that he can get them to help make this ancient robot that he wants to take over the world with. And he thinks that the challengers are the only ones that can like defeat its safeguards. And they, they realize that he's trying to, to pull one over on them and uh, they beat him because, and it kind of was like, Oh, if this guy saved us, maybe we weren't so special. And then Ace is like, no guys, it's cool. We really are special. Um, challengers number 32 july 1963 it's the return of the lava men from that story previously in this episode that we're recording right now um the challengers just have to fight a giant one that's about it that's kind of a stupid like if you're gonna do a callback at least explain these guys more than just like they're lava men it's like america explain uh the second story here is cosmo's owner Yes, Cosmo, the space kangaroo, has an owner who is an alien, and he shows up going like, where's my fucking pet, guys? And they're like, oh, is is he yours? And he's like, yeah, kind of. Unfortunately, the conversation doesn't actually go that way. Some criminals run, in, run into the alien before the challengers do, and they're like, oh, yeah, the challengers. These guys, the challengers uh, stole your pet. And the alien's like, well, that's bogus. And he tries to beat up the challengers, and they're like, oh, are you looking for Cosmo? We'd, like, we'd give him to you. We just were making sure he was safe. And he's like... I don't know. He seems like he kind of likes you guys. You're all right, so you can keep him. And then he just leaves. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of aliens getting sicked on the challengers through miscommunication and misled and being misled. And that's a weird theme. And I don't. I I feel like there's something to that, but yeah, I can't really think of anything. Even beyond uh, that, like there are a lot of communication stories, miscommunication stories in general. Because there's there's a couple where the the challengers are pitted against each other for a uh, miscommunication of some kind or another, or, or the times where they're just trying to, where the moral of the story is, Hey, listen to your buddies and let your ego get out of the way. But there's, there is certainly a bunch of miscommunication stories just yeah. across the board. Uh, speaking of one such in challengers 32, the, the return of the lava guy, um, None of the challengers explain that they're all trying to like martyr themselves. Yeah. They're like, if I do this, it's going to it's going to kill me, but it'll save everybody else. And I don't want the guys to know about it because then they'll get worried. It's like, Jesus, guys, you're all pretty. Just save the world. You know, <laughs> it very much is a like this. We could all be avoided if you all just put your heads together and thought of a solution. 
Um, Challengers number 33, September 1963. The Challengers fight a bad guy who can counter all of them in a sort of like Deathstroke the Terminator Taskmaster sort of a way. Um, but really, it's just Ace and June pulling the wool over the rest of the guy's eyes because they've already arrested the dude that he's pretending to be. And he's trying to just show them that like they're overconfident. And I'm like, holy shit, is Ace better at everything that all the other Challengers do? <laughs> <laughs> like, is he huh. smarter? Is he smarter at like rock climbing than Red? He outfought Rocky and he fought the professor underwater. Is is Ace the best challenger? So yes, and we know it because of who he ends up with in the vision of the future. Yes. Uh we'll yeah, get to he that. He is soon, protagonist. Actually. Uh so the second story in number thirty three. Uh, a bad guy tricks the challengers into using a helpful robot who really is there to study their weaknesses and they realize that that's what's going on and they just beat the robot and they beat the bad guy. Uh, challengers number 34, November 1963. Multi-man makes a girlfriend for himself, a giant girlfriend, and then he like makes himself giant and handsome. Um, it turns out, however, the, the giant girlfriend, who's also not a real person and kind of a robot, is shallow. And when she sees Multi-Man in his normal form, she's like, oh, gross. And she, like, tries to kill him. It's very strange. And I don't understand why we did this. Uh, second story is the Challengers find a Nazi submarine with suspended animation Nazis in it. And they fucking fight them off on a beachhead. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm going to put body count 10 here. Yeah, at least. Because they are straight up shooting Nazis. And then Rocky blows the submarine up by ramming a boat into it and there are still people on that sub they kill minimum 10 people we don't know how many and i'm not going to go through this issue and count but they are shooting men that are coming out of this you know submarine onto a beach it's a lot that is the most violent we've seen them be yep the only other moment that struck me as having at least the potential of violence that was as visceral and direct as this was was there was a point i think it was in the uh the back in time story where june is just holding a knife that's yeah. it like she's not like she's already like cut them loose or something she's not pointing it or anything she's just holding a knife and <laughs> yeah. that was so strange and different for me from what we're used to we're usually exposed to it's like Oh, well, that got my attention. And there was a point where someone said, like, die instead of will be destroyed. Uh, but this is the other one where they're just straight up, like, manning. Like, I think it's a Browning sub uh, machine no, gun. It's an, it's an MG-42, and they've got... Because mm. um, they got the weapons off the German sub. So it has oh, to be an yeah, MG-42. True, yeah. And what ha would look like MP-40s. And they're just shooting nazis and i was like wow all right we're fucking this is, we're all normandy here okay okay yeah. um yeah it was a lot it was it was fairly violent because every other situation where they're fighting a giant monster or those lava men it's like they're using gadgets they're not like yeah. weapon weapons they're gadget weapons so this was decidedly more violent um challengers number 35 january 1964 happy new year this is also the last issue that we're going to cover in this episode um a moon monster is awakened and comes to Earth and it tries to destroy the Challengers because it thinks it's related to the guys that imprisoned it. They they imprison it again. 
It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, final story. The challengers see themselves in the future at a fortune telling booth. And they've all got kids who want to be challengers too. Uh, Rocky has a daughter who is awesome. And she's like a like a tomboy and she beats the shit out of people and it's great. Um, one of the things that Matt just mentioned a little bit ago was that in this vision of the future, Ace is married to June. And he says something about it like, oh, I guess I'm married to June. And June specifically goes like, yeah, you got a problem with that? Like, what? Like, you don't want to marry me? Like, for some reason, they've been, like, off-camera dating that we haven't seen. Because there is that one time that we see them going into a jewelry store together a couple episodes back. I'm sure we've talked about it. But, like, Ace and June are consistently shown together hanging out. But it's never been romantic. It's just been what they are doing. They're always doing stuff. So it's just funny that, yeah, he is now power of protagonist because he's with the girl. Um, but yeah, that is the end of our coverage. We already talked about Rocky being a wrestler, and that's great, and I love that. Um, the future story, yeah, we just talked about that. What I do want to talk about the fact is that these stories in and of themselves are kind of missing the mark in a way that I think can't be resolved just yet by the writers. Um, and it's because I don't think there's enough creative leeway being given because the challengers of the unknown fighting crooks with gadgets seems not so much unknown like they aren't discovering mysteries or great um fantastical things like they went to space for crying out loud like back in the day there was that space circus that they did and it was oh, God, i mean I like about that. time travel shit man like they're they've dealt with some pretty nuts things but to go to like criminal masterminds with robots and lava monsters feels superman-y these are superman stories with just four guys solving it and my brother-in-law was just like, yeah, it's just Scooby-Doo. And I'm like, yeah, it, it kind of really is in a, in a weird sort of abstract way. Um, things I would like to see them do. Be on the lookout for like how a civil, an ancient civilization got uh, wiped out with nobody knowing. And then suddenly finding out it's due to a monster that's still around. You know, like that would have been cool. Or um, what's the deal with the Bermuda Triangle? Which then leads to like, oh, a teleportation thing to another dimension. And it's, I don't, like, literally, these are free ideas, DC. Um, but I feel like that's what they should be dealing with. Like, Doctor Who stuff. And even Supernatural or Grimm. These are all television shows that I'm, I'm naming. But those are the types of things I feel like they should be dealing with. Not terrestrial villains who aren't unknown this is not a fantastic creature it's just like that guy built a giant robot oh my god it's like the moon creature that was imprisoned on the moon and is now on earth very much a challengers of the unknown thing um a guy who's resurrecting lava creatures to take over the planet it's like were the lava creatures coming out on their own it'd be like oh my god what are these where are they coming from 
what, what what could possibly stop them as opposed to there's this dude with like a crane game over a lava pit he's just dunking the crane in and pulling out monsters the mis- the mysticism and the magic is out of that scenario because there's a there's a guy involved there should be no middleman you know challengers of dr wiley doesn't have the same ring to it yeah yeah it's it's very yeah it's challengers against lex luthor you know yeah. it's not so much like these aren't strange and unknown and fantastic things it's it's you know nine times out of ten it's just some guy in a mask like there was a time where they're like yeah no like experiment this cure on me i'm living on borrowed time i'm like that's the challenges of the unknown thing they should be doing weird reckless things that no one else wants to do because they're like fuck it we'll we'll risk our lives you know instead of dealing with super villains and i it's hard to kind of make those sort of critiques or comments because again, these characters contextually have only been around for like five, six years, maybe. And when you put out a bi-monthly comic, especially that these guys are the, the headliners, there's no one else in this book but them. The reason why the, the issue about with their backstory did so well is because they humanized them and it had time to breathe. And I didn't feel like I was just watching it a 15 minute short of like well who's who's miss who's mystery incorporated gonna figure out is behind this spooky caper you know it was oh wow like here's story behind these these characters and like why they're all together and like someone is trying to trick them because they're they're famous obviously like they're famous group of individuals they're they're a well-known mercenary team someone's trying to capitalize off of their skills to for world domination we've also not seen that before I've not seen someone try to manipulate them in that fashion by preying on their desire to thrill seek. Like their whole bit is doing weird shit. And someone going like, well, if I get them to assemble a very dangerous robot that I don't want to do by myself, surely this will not cause suspicion because this is a job that the challengers would do. So let's get the challengers to do it. And I was like, that actually kind of had a good twist and it was clever and it was kind of, it was pretty well written. I really liked that. Um, the rest of this is kind of just meh, not even that good, you know, um, just for reference, a lot of the, um, writers are credited as unknown. We have like Arnold Drake, uh, some of them, Ed France Heron. Remember Ed Heron is around. Um, yeah, Arnold Drake and Ed Heron are the two that get name dropped a lot in this volume. The rest are, you know, written as or credited as unknown. So it could be either of those two guys or just an entirely new person who didn't want his name, his or her name associated with this. Um, that was why this was hard reading. It was a lot of the same all the time. And then when the issues that were very different stuck out, it was like, wow, this is really neat. And then that was it. So it was kind of kind of a bummer, but also very interesting to see perspective-wise and contextually as a narrative. What works for these characters? What feels like an appropriate problem for them, as opposed to what is what's too mundane? You know, this is this is not this is, call the Justice League. These guys are it's just a supervillain. You know, let's go deal with weird crap. What's that? There's noises coming out of your well. Prof, get down there. It's it's aquatic themed or adjacent. You know, it's like. Uh, Oh my god, there's a, a fucking yeti infestation on this mountain. Go up there, Red. You're you're a rock climber. What's that? 
This crocodile is carrying an infectious disease. We don't know where it's come from. Quick, Rocky, wrestle it and Professor take a sample. Like, weird things. They should be doing weird stuff. And they're doing what everybody else is doing. So, there's a bit in there specifically. You were talking about a hypothetic, the hypothetical where the different heroes are using their different strengths. And that earlier, even before that, you called out that these aren't really... We aren't really bringing out the theme of daredevils living on borrowed time. Like, to some degree, as we get further out from this series starting, there's a bit of... You remember Alice? The song's about Alice going on. Like, there were a number of issues at the start of this sequence that I had, like, tagged of, yeah, we don't even get, like, the little, like, one-sentence character blurbs of Red is good at climbing, Prof is a skin diver. Like, we didn't even get that at first for a couple issues in here. And this is how much that hurt the characterization of these characters or rather the distinctiveness of these characters like I found myself missing the fact that Gardner Fox would do a challenge for the Justice League and every single individual member would have their own special like oh this is the the challenge that I have to face and use my unique power set for I the thing that bugs me about that is I think this sequence of issues actually does the best job of any of the challengers chunks that we've looked at for bringing out the individual characters uh, and making them feel distinct, uh, helped largely by the fact that Rocky becomes a uh, hipster jive talking doofus. Yeah, he becomes belligerent a lot of the yeah. time for some yeah. reason. He becomes more like the thing, and surprise, surprise, I like him more as a result. But yeah. even having that one character means that everyone else can sort of play off him a little bit more, so it feels like there's more distinctiveness between characters, and they were bringing up the different types of strengths that each of the heroes have, but it's still so much less than we see with any other like team-up or solo, like... I mean, for God's sakes, it's so much fighting against the way that the that this was originally set up as because everyone's wearing the same clothes. At least they have different hair colors, but that magenta jumpsuit is not making it easy to tell the difference between these characters. I mean, Prof's hairstyle is a kind of a dead giveaway. He's got that emo swoop. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rocky is the giant one, red is obviously he's called out by his name and ace has got the buzz cut but that's how you have to tell them apart mm -hmm. yeah there's no like silhouette difference by and large yeah um the other thing that i think going a couple phases back in the conversation you called out that these were difficult mm, dense reading and not enjoyable reading uh one of the things that I kept coming back to was that so much is happening off panel. Like there are there are key moments to stories that they're not like 
the deciding moment of act three, but they're as important as like, oh, the twist midway through act two or something. And it just happens off screen. Like, um, there's a bit where, uh, in the story where the challengers are back in time, uh, they get attacked by a chariot. Uh, they are in the process. They were in the process of rescuing June. Uh, a chariot attacks, and we see the challengers off to one side. We don't see like June get separated. We just next panel is we see June is knocked out, and it turns out that she go is recovered by the people who were initially kidnapping her. We don't see on panel June getting knocked out or getting separated from the challengers. She's just, Oh, she's down. Uh, what there were a bunch of other moments that I wrote down. Let me bring them up. Cause it bugged me so much. Uh, there's a moment where the, the Trojan horse robot, um, mm. there's a bit where the guy makes the robot to, to infiltrate the challengers and there's a bit where it turns good uh because it was programmed to act like a challenger so when the evil scientists sent the equivalent of a really big bomb uh at this base it was programmed to react like a challenger so it reacted heroically saving the day and that happens off panel yeah we we see the explosion result but not like the robot sacrificing itself Mm -hmm. and even in the middle of a scene, there'll be like these turning points. Like the challengers go from there's more people incoming to the next panel is we surrendered and we're being judged. Like there was never a, oh, we're being overwhelmed. We can't hold out. Those those moments that build drama, just we don't see them. They're, or at best, they're inferred by text bubbles. And it's like, no, I'm not. No, we we read a lot of we read a lot of pages, so we read maybe a little bit faster than like a kid of this era might. But there's not enough build going on. There's not enough to make me feel tense, 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 and then the release. No, it's just there. It's not yeah going on. And sometimes you even get it with like transition panels that really confused me like there was a bit in issue 26 where it's the one where prof looks like the king so he's dressed up like the king in the valley where he's going through some challenges and then the actual king like they figure out a plot uh to assassinate the uh prof so the actual king and two of the challengers go to the valley and I, but they're dressed the same way because it's the king, and then it's Prof dressed like the king, and they're. I thought for sure we had cut back to Prof, and I guess there are two challengers in the valley now. And no, it's it's still the real king plus the two of the challengers, and there was nothing I could see in the art or in the uh, narrative boxes that made it really clear that no we're the camera is following these characters instead of jumping back to these other characters like there's just there's a sloppiness it feels like almost like they don't know how to use the medium yes i agree with that and it's so strange 
it, it it's very hard to read comics that aren't good from the past because you're like uh, you know matt and i aren't here to review old comics we tell you whether or not we think they're good or bad but you gotta wonder where you know had comics reviewing been a job back then would the would the challenges have been well received you know and is it because obviously they're one of the things that's being put out right now but dc wasn't just putting them out marvel existed and you know would this have would this have been okay and i i liken a lot of freshman attempts at a medium to the first assassin's creed game <laughs> in video games um assassin's creed one as a video game was a great concept and it was a great proof of concept on what could be done and what possibly this game franchise could be at some point in the future it was an okay game though it was buggy it was kind of repetitive in its gameplay the animations weren't solid but it was fun to play challengers of the unknown is one of those things where you're like you should know what you're doing by now you've been doing this for a while if you were screwing up in terms of how to visually tell a story along with the narrative that you've got provided through words you're not doing this right or you're not doing it well at least mm -hmm. and that makes these hard to read there's some amateurish bits too like there are times where i i noticed one specific instance where the logic of which panel comes next was actually different there was a point was super wonky yeah like we'll often see some stuff with a small panel on the left uh, on the upper left big double tall panel on the right and then another smaller panel on the bottom left and often they will make it so that you read upper left right lower left and then there was just a random time where it was meant to be upper left lower left and right and granted they use arrows in those situations to make it a little bit clearer but there's still an intuitive logic of where you should be looking next that we have been trained in and granted we're more trained in it now than we were at that point uh but there's still a logic that they're training people in they're not numbering panels anymore like they used to during the golden age and they're changing it around and yeah. then there are panels where something's happening and there's no emphasis on it. There's a, the space magician. Uh, there's a point where he's lifting the portion of the grandstand and just like it's hovering up in the air and there's no emphasis on it. He's just kind of looking over at it. And it's just up. It's not even doing like wiggle lines. It doesn't have like, oh, magic lines like from him to it. It's just up. And it's not centered even. It's just, oh, okay. that's what you're trying to convey to me? Okay. I, I kind of figured it was just like up and like supported on some like girders or something because otherwise it wouldn't be this stable up there. It's just not well executed there are times these stories are put together are structured reasonably well i'm i say reasonably well because it's we never get store we we get i think one story that is really like a creative structure the rest are either 
not well structured. They don't have enough like, oh, foreshadowing or here are the pieces that are eventually going to lead to how this story resolves and it all fits together neatly. At best, usually it's here's an archetypal story and we're just going to follow the traditional beats of the villain gets conked out, uh, has amnesia and is working with the good guys. And then a thing happens that uh, that we established, oh, like electricity can bring your memory back. And, oh, memory came back and the, the villain betrays the, the heroes and eventually the, the heroes beat the villain again. Like, it's that kind of ticker tape kind of writing where it's nothing new or different, but it's kind of a relief because at least they're doing that right because they usually don't. There are a lot of things that make these not very enjoyable then they're the ones that aren't bad but there's not never been anything in here that made me say oh i'm this is cool i'm glad except for the uh see your kids in the future story and the origin story that's really it and i gotta give some credit to the times where things do work so i'm just gonna call out two specific instances that came to mind uh there's I think one of the space criminals has a camera that you can take a picture of something with. And then when you develop the film, it teleports the thing into like a box that you have. And specifically, it's when you develop the film. It's not just like a teleport array. It's like a delayed action one. And I'm like, eh, yeah. that's cool. I like that. And it it made for a logical thing that the final solution of the story could be sort of hung around. Uh, the the challengers use that tech in a way that is like, oh yeah, okay, that that works, that makes sense. And then the other one, the structural, like the only creative story in terms of structure was the Trojan, uh, the Trojan horse robot, uh, where, let's see, it's like a it's a triple cross, or at least a triple twist because it starts off oh. The challengers are gifted this robot that successfully saves their lives. It turns out that it was programmed by an evil uh, scientist. So they they make a robot costume. And it, that is the Trojan robot. Like the name of the story was the Trojan robot. It's like, oh, they dress up as it and they sneak in. And then it turns out that the uh, robot, when it actually like comes down to it, turns good effectively or at least acts as though it's good so it's like okay we've got these like triple twists and i guess there's one other time and i don't remember which where this happens it's just that they're so infrequent that the structure of these stories remains a an impediment a handicap rather than a success yeah uh i do have to also talk up rocky's cool uh we're glad yeah. that Rocky has more character. It is still very strange to see the tough guy of the story talk like a beatnik. Yeah, that it's is weird. Daddy-o, uh, Flunksville. It's, that is not a set of mannerisms that we associate with like the tough guy. Uh, there's a reason that the thing is uh, from Yonkers. And, or Yonkers? Yeah. Or 
Queens? Yancey Street. Yancey Street. Yancey Street, Street, which is a fictional street. Like, he talks tough, and there's a reason for that. Uh, But, hell, for all I know, like, at this point in time, or more likely five or ten years before, when before comics writers started out being in touch enough with an old uh subculture to uh start using it in their uh, comics like it might be that at that point they that was how tough guys talked i don't know whatever we associate that type of language with snapper car yes yes that is exactly it it's snapper's voice coming out of a giant muscly man and it's weird (laughs) Yeah, um, and we got to touch on this one, uh, June, and also Roxy, who is uh, Rocky's daughter in the Vision. It, I mean, it's a mixed bag because they do give some like moments of capacity and capability to Rosie or to June. Be- there are times like she's the there's a point where she pretends to be the uh the semi fake villain that Ace was pretending to be like oh Ace is actually like Ace is actually here like it's not a fake after all oh it turns out that June was the person who was pretending to be the villain in this point like she gets to do some stuff she breaks them out of prison sometimes like she'll I think she clobbers something, knocks somebody out with a vase at one point. And it's not accidental. It's not that like for a joke damsel like manages it in some weird, like gimmicky way. Like she does the thing. It's just that she gets very little screen time and it's still, she is fundamentally still an adjunct. She's just not an adjunct who is diminished in the way she's portrayed. And Rox- Roxy's cool in the few minutes that we get her. Uh, she's um, She's got a big old uh, black eye at one point uh, because she gets in fights and she's badass like that. But she's also, she doesn't really get a chance to prove herself. She shows up as part of the cavalry with the parents. And the parents are the ones who are shown like cleaning house, saving the three boy challenger kids. It's like, here are these things that are maybe close, but it's clear it's still very clearly guy adding women rather than guy writing women. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much the stuff that I've got. Like everything else was kind of middling. It's not doing anything weird or different. The the panel layouts are very standard. There's a single instance of like that three panel, like zoom in and it works in that regard, but everything else is super standard. These are just comics that are doing house style and they're not doing it great, but they're not doing it terribly. Uh, I say that we move on to recommendations then. Hell yeah. So I bought the outer worlds. Ooh, and i really like it uh the outer worlds is a video game that recently came out in october and i've been a big fan of obsidian for a long time i just really like their approach towards design and narrative storytelling if you have ever played fallout and you like westerns 
you will enjoy this. People are equating it to Firefly, like a fire, like a, a Serenity sort of a game. I can see where that comes in. I think it's a little bit more Fallouty in general. Uh, the premise is you are a person who is on a deep space uh, ship to go colonize a new world, and you and the people who are with you on the ship uh, are knocked out of like hyperspace. So instead of a you know. A ten-year journey, or something like that, or some some quick, relatively quick for space travel journey. You've been missing for sixty years, but you've been in suspended animation, and somebody finds your ship and takes you out, and now you have to help them do stuff. Um, lots of conversations, lots of uh, very interesting flavor text for the items. Uh, it is a very interesting world that they have built surrounded around corporations doing space exploration so like when you run into the soldiers um they're spacers choice soldiers you know it's like if walmart had cops it's like and you ran into a planet that that had been colonized by walmart you'd run into like walmart soldiers it's very funny um and all the soldiers have to like plug the brand so they're like when they're talking to you you're like are you okay he's like i'm fine i'm just wearing my patented spacers choice armor spacer's choice is the only choice you need to make and you're just like oh buddy like it's very it's very funny and very tongue-in-cheek but it also you can tell there's a lot of um really in a really interesting thought-provoking stuff about just what is for the good of people can you make this decision that is beneficial for everybody just because some people don't think life is okay over here doesn't mean other people don't do you get to say what's good and what isn't um there's of course fighting I kind of like the combat system a little bit more uh, than Fallout because, well, Fallout, I appreciate the vault-assisted targeting system that uh, slows time down. You can do everything in slow-mo. I prefer a system that kind of slows time down and I still have to shoot because when I use VATS, I find myself not playing the game. It does look dated, and I wonder if that's because Obsidian's engine is their own engine. I don't know what, what they're running this out of or what they've made this with, but the game looks visually dated. However, I will say that, you know what? Some people don't play games that look very nice, and I still love them. I love Hotline Miami. The game doesn't have to be visually stunning for you to enjoy it, and I think this is a game that's worth getting a shot if you are a fan of RPGs and sci-fi and western-y type stuff. Nice. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit because uh, there are... a couple different things going through my head the first is you might have noticed that in addition to the outer worlds there was also a game earlier this year called the outer wilds and the good news is general like critical consensus is that both are good so no matter which you get you'll probably enjoy but that convergence was entertaining yeah. uh second is Hearts of Iron 4 mod. So for those who don't know, Hearts of Iron is a Paradox game, grand strategy set during World War II, very uh, combination like war game moving of units, but also logistical chains, etc., etc., with a lot of ability to create alternate histories. However, there is a mod called Kaiserreich that does a lot of the, oh, you don't have to make the alternate history, dear. Here you fucking go. Uh, and it's based off of a very well-realized scenario of, what if Germany won the First World War? And the degree to which it thinks about it, like, I've called it Turtle Dove-esque. Uh, Harry Turtle Dove, who does yeah. all the wonderful alternate history uh, 
books and they and this are very well thought out and detailed enough where you're like, oh, I see the parallel to what happened really, but also, wow, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, and the world has a ton of detailed uh, bits and events that really flesh it out. But the thing that I actually wanted to recommend, uh, and I know, Joanne, I know, uh, <laughs> the first episode of a, I think, NBC miniseries from 2001 called The Tenth Kingdom. Specifically the first episode, uh, the shtick is that there are nine kingdoms that are in like a fairy tale, fairy tale world and then the tenth kingdom is our world and you can get between them using a magic mirror and at first it feels like it's going to be kind of fables-ish because the first episode takes place in uh mostly in the re- in our world uh it winds up the, the second through fifth episode takes place in the fairy tale world and they, they work but the first episode is so like pre mid 2000s uh first off it's a mini series on public tv like it's an hour and a half episode and mm. after commercials are cut out and everything and the main thing that stands out from that first episode is the rom communists of the two leads like there is the big bad wolf character uh, i mean he's he's just big b in a lot of in terms of like mm-hmm. physical uh appearance like he is a humanoid character who has a lot of wolf aspects and but he's a rom-com character and he is over the top and he plays it to the hilt and it's like oh this is problematic in all of the ways that ro- like before we were aware of it rom-com characters are but Hmm. at this at that stage especially it's like oh but this is as long as i keep that in mind this is really enjoyable to watch and there are bits where the script just surprises you like there are three dumb trolls and the protagonist lady like tricks them into an elevator and it locks up on them and they're like this is magic. She shrunk us and put us in a matchbox. It's just like that. Spe- that specificity It's like, no, nah, like the magic just wasn't that we just got like locked in here. It's like we got shrunk and we're in a matchbox. And if we have it's, it'll probably be we'll probably be stuck here for 100 years. But if we get do good behavior, we'll be out in 50. It's like. That was a little more imagination than I expected. And the rest of the series, I was not as enthusiastic about. There were some good moments. Uh, There were some decent, like, chunks, even. But didn't click with me quite as well as the idea of that first episode. Nice. Uh, That will do it for this episode. We're going to be looking at The Elongated Man next. Ooh. And then uh, some Flash, probably after that. But until then... We love you all, be good to each other, and we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. While we had gotten some new information about the Challengers' lives this time around, we were disappointed that they had fallen in the trap of the more mundane and less fantastical. 
getting ready for our trip back to Central City, we hoped the ductile detective would have some new cases to rouse our curiosity.